Hello, and thank you for joining us once again for the Guardians MH podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Goku, and with me tonight, I have my friend Joe. Hello. Nate. Hello. Alan. What up? And Matt. Oh, hi. If you're joining us for the first time, Guardians MH is a 501c3 nonprofit focused on promoting mental health awareness throughout the gaming community and with being a first step in assisting individuals with gathering meaningful resources in a safe and inclusive atmosphere. Our podcast is another way to normalize talking about mental health and is a fusion of mental health topics and gaming. So for everyone's information, this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes. While many of the people here have some form of mental health training, they are not mental health. This podcast is not a replacement for physical or mental care or the diagnosis of any mental health condition. That being said, I'd like to welcome our guest tonight, David Lazo. David, how are you doing tonight? Excellent, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for glad to be here. Thank you so much for coming on with us, David. It's such mm-hmm. an honor to mm-hmm. have you. Oh, man. I was so excited when you uh, agreed to come on. You were so excited. You're like, absolutely. It's, oh, man. This is going to be so much fun. <laughs> Listen, in my pajamas at home, I like, don't talk to anybody, so I'll take any kind of interaction. <laughs> this, this, this counts. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, Social interaction. It counts. You know what's great? The first time that I met Joe in real life, so to speak, you were the first artist he brought up. He's like, look at this great guy. (laughs) (laughs) Speak very highly of you. Well, thank you for spamming other people, Joe. I appreciate it. (laughs) Not a problem. I take great honor in it. And I'll tell you what. (laughs) Oh, is that what it is? Getting that, you know, (laughs) 1.2%. I'm good. No, it doesn't no, happen by uh, accident. Those mentions don't just happen. <laughs> well, I appreciate you doling out the gateway drug. <laughs> it's a little bit to everybody. Yeah, get them hooks. But thank you. I'm white right now. Yeah, and then I uh, <laughs> and I slip in that business card of yours. That way they know where to go to get more. Yeah. No. Coupon oh, codes. And Joe's got his own code. Use it all. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Joe's, we'll Joe's got an it's affiliate in, code. It's in the show notes. <laughs> For ten percent off, use this code. Right. Right. Joe Bezos, he's gonna make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Wow. No, but it's such an honor, and, and and especially having you come on in the month of October with Halloween and everything. Uh, you know, with the the medium that you use and what you use for your models and a lot of your pieces being skeletons. Um, it it if seemed like a really awesome topic to talk about, you know, how other cultures around the world, you know, handle uh, grief and and death and how it differentiates through around the world. Like in the U S it's definitely taken a lot more, you know, just, I don't want to say somber, but you know, a lot more uh, Mm -hmm. dull, but you go down to Mexico and they celebrate it. And it's this, you know, a celebration of the person's life and you continue to uh, think of them after they pass and pay homage to them. And it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a part of their culture, life and death. And it's thought it would be a fantastic opportunity to have you on and talk about, you know, your, your medium and uh, a little bit more about uh, that as a topic. But uh, for people that don't know who you are, that are just tuning in with us, why don't you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? For sure. Well, again, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here to be able to talk about the art, not just from the arts, side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the combination of, with the mental health angle and, and especially with, with the death angle, especially in these times now where, where it's 
there's always something we deal with, but now you maybe magnify with emotions being so raw as it is. Um, I love being able to speak about this angle because it's what I've kind of dedicated my life to. I'm a, a, an artist based in San Diego, California, and I do primarily Day of the Dead inspired work. Basically, the traditional Mexican holiday, Dia de los Muertos, basically the um, the celebration of life. You know, basically it's kind of the, the it's skeletal work that you see. And, and again, before Coco, before um, Book of Life, there wasn't much. It wasn't mainstream. It wasn't really out there. People hadn't really seen what the skeletal work was. Um, I moved to California about 15 years ago. Was exposed to Day of the Dead, um, the colors, the pageantry. The idea of remembrance and one of the, the, the key mo- um, parts of the Day of the Dead that makes me so attached to it is, like you said, Joe, is sharing stories, sharing favorite foods. Basically, build, they build altars to their loved ones. And they kind of I was jealous that I didn't have anything like that in my background. You know, I grew up on the East Coast. You know, it was very traditional. Like I said somber where you have a wake, maybe. And that's like, you know, that's it. And maybe you visit the cemetery on your own. It's just not something I wish I had someone to share my grandfather's favorite foods, you know, or, or stories or to see his favorite music and alter kind of thing every year and share, share stories in a happy way. And I was just so inspired by the idea of that remembrance and then the happiness that it gave me my direction as an artist um, for the last 15 years. Um, besides doing Day of the Inspired Art, I've traveled the world to 13 different countries, kind of gathering, you know, learning more about how we honor our dead, how our dead are treated, how, you know, altars is this idea of remembrance this All Souls Day, where it's, it's called 10 different things, but all these societies have the same kind of roots and foundations in the way we remember our loved ones, you know, and it, it kind of ties in. And that's basically what my art kind of represents. It's capturing these moments in time, you know, from samurais to the more traditional um, Mexican influence to uh, nautical or military. It's capturing these moments in time and paying, you know, homage to these, these, these people that were, you know, captured in these moments. Love the Western ones too. You can't you can't leave those out. Those, <laughs> how do you decide to work on, say, like uh, you know, wanting to do more pieces or create pieces on veterans? Like, what kind of drew you into you know picking a category? Yeah, it, it's I'm in a very fortunate spot in my career now, being full time for almost thirteen or fourteen years now, where I can I pick and choose and I I paint what I want, really not worrying about what's going to sell. I don't, I, I'm fortunate to have a, a collector base and so I have the freedom to basically paint whatever I want to paint. Um, and I have all these different genres, but it's, it's kind of like what my head looks like. It's full of all these different ideas, different emotions, whether they be kind of cute skeletons doing funny, quirky things or the more serious stuff like the military stuff. I kind of have, you know, these, all these different little genres that, that fill these, these niches, these, these callings in me. Um, sometimes it's, it's a story with the military stuff. I realized early in my career, I didn't want to just be painted painting, you know, call of duty looking moments of war. You know, I wanted all that be somebody and be a story. Um, so I basically almost 90% of them at this point have all been commissions from families who lost loved ones from um, brothers who basically other brothers capturing these moments, family heirlooms, all with a story with a person, you know, and some of them, it's, it's a very strong attachment, you know, to be part of that, to be creating, you know, a family heirloom. For someone who's lost, that loves someone in, in the war, yeah. to, to capture those moments for them. It's, it's a heavy process to paint with, but something I, I desperately enjoy to give them a connection, to give them something they can, they can bring them joy, to capture something for them. They can just be, you know, a, a symbol of that person. Um, so that military stuff has always been that, that bond to me. And I've got to be on the base at Pendleton for the tanks. And I've got to be at live fire drills. And the guys have really been just so welcoming to me into that world to share that. 
Um, while all my family has served, basically everybody in my family has carried a gun. I carry a pencil. I'm the only one who hasn't. Um, but I've been, those guys have shared those stories with me and let me be kind of a glimpse to capture those moments in time. And I'm forever thankful to be able to be part of that and, and do them a service how I would do it for them. You know, what I, what I can give them that maybe nobody else can. It must have been something incredible to to go to these places, especially for the military with live drills and seeing them on the fire range, seeing the, you know, the heavy machinery and the tanks and everything like that. And just taking it in, like, do you bring a camera with you to like document, like take oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, I was there for a, for a full day for a live fire drill. And it started with the, um, the giant um, hovercraft landing. I mean, oh come, right, right on the beach. And then, and then they had Abrams coming off the ships. It was, it was a co-branch type thing. So it was basically like the couple of the, the Navy was there too. So it was a huge moment. And I got to be there in a live thing. I'm a big guy. So I'm there with my camera in a, in a, a flak jacket that's nine sizes too small. I'm standing there <laughs> and all these guys, kids are running by and they're kids because they're all 18. You know, I'm not, <laughs> you know, so they're, all, they're running by and they all think I'm for stars and stripes. Everybody's striking a GI Joe pose. Every time they see me take a picture of something, they were just, again, really cool to me to, to just let me see that kind of thing and, and stand next to the Abrams as they were firing these giant shotgun rounds, basically like shotgun giant scatter rounds through the trees. And I mean, to see the entire earth just vibrate around you, just, just an awesome experience to be able to be in that fraternity almost to see that. I mean, there's just a, it's a truly moving experience. It kind of brings home, you can look at pictures, you can see it on TV, but when you're around the machinery, and I mean, it's just a drill and it was so serious and, and so professional in the way things were done. It was really a moment I, I, I cherish to be able to capture that and feel for that one instance, like I was in, out there with them. And that's just one aspect of it. You know, that's just the military ones. Like what mm -hmm. going over to how you capture a lot of uh, like the Mexican uh, Mexico's traditions with uh, I'm going to butcher the Del Marte. Dia de los Muertos. Yeah. Edit that. Six <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Leave it to the professional here, Jeff. Day of the Come Dead. Clip right, that, please. <laughs> yes. The mouth will move. It'll come out right. <laughs> Yeah, but no, uh, what did you do for researching with, with that? Well, and so, again, being traditional Day of the Dead, I knew that was, that was where I really started focused. Mm -hmm. I was going to traditional celebrations um, in Los Angeles, starting there, then realizing, okay, I have to go to Mexico. I got to be there for, for this. I got to go to Oaxaca and see where most of these um, celebrations really originated. And so, yeah, I traveled down there, and it was one of the most amazing experiences because here I am, this very, very – pale complexion, giant person in a cemetery filled with um, these, these wonderful um, Mexican people. And it's a poor cemetery. We're talking, you know, dirt with rocks on top type stuff. There's no headstones, you know, and they're all, it's all decorated wonderfully. And they're just, I walk in and my girlfriend's with me at this point. Uh, I'm giant both ways. She has blue hair. We walk into the cemetery and we're both like split up by different families. And I spent the next 45 minutes to an hour just being brought to different families sharing stories they're telling me about who's there i mean this is a so open i mean more open than anyone in any country i've been to they're just so welcoming to me telling me i can come stay with them next time i'm here you know just this tiny little village and they're each one's giving their homemade mezcal so i'm doing basically over the course of 45 minutes i did about probably 15 shots just everybody wants to do a shot with the giant you know the giant white guy so just each family's walking me around and sharing these stories and i'm almost crying because they're just so moved that they're so welcoming to this person they don't know at all who just you know I was so afraid I'd walk into that cemetery and feel like I was, you know, culture poaching. I didn't want to feel disauthentic. I didn't want to be, you know, someone who's there who shouldn't be or make them feel like I'm just there to 
gather intel or just kind of spying on right. their, their secret moments. And I, was, I never felt that way. They were so welcoming um, throughout my entire trips to Mexico. We've gone a couple of times down to the Yucatan also during that time period and never anything but amazingly welcoming times. Again, so it made me so proud that I chose that inspiration for my artwork. It was everything I'd hoped it would be. It was like, it was like a payoff. Like I took this, this risk to, to portray this holiday and it paid back in spades because it was exactly what I hoped it would be. It was the interactions I wished it would be. Everything was so amazing during those trips. And it just made me so proud to be the ambassador in any little way that I could to bring this art form, you know, to the States. And I'll tell you what, you, you really nailed it with that because before even, I want to say Disney and Pixar and everything started capturing the, that, that culture in cinema, there was exposure to sugar skulls and just day of the dead for, you know, just in the United mm-hmm. States, all the way across, you know, around the world. I mean, mm-hmm. people were exposed to that sort of art style and the deco and everything of Mexico, how vibrant it is. And, you know, the marigolds yep. and other, you know, yep, Talavera, all those beautiful colors that we associate yeah. with Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the way you capture it with your art, you really bring it to the next level. But just, just seeing that and comparison to what we're used to here in the states where it's you know it's all you know it's sad you know it's sad of course you know with grieving you know losing a loved one and Mm -hmm. it's if you compare what our funerals are to what that culture is it's a huge difference Mm -hmm. and i would honestly prefer to you know day of the dead with how they celebrate death and it's like the next step in our lives and how we remember them is a huge part. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's truly amazing. One of the the best moments I kind of share a short story is I was doing a show and this, this man came up to me and he's kind of sitting off the side and I I do live festivals and I paint out front, but I could tell he wanted to talk to me. He's kind of sitting there and he's like, can I, can I bother you for a second? This is before COVID. This is probably 2004, five, six, seven, somewhere in there along early in my career. But before the, the, there was a mainstream Coco again and Book of Life for all their faults, still give people um, kind of a, a direction, the, the basics almost of what the internet is. Mm-hmm. Uh, middle America, Southern California sees, has been seeing this for a year. And they, they understand it, but they gave Middle America kind of a reference point for it. But before that, this man comes over to me and he's he's looking at me. And he's like, you know, can I ask you about all the skeletons and and what does it mean and what does this all you know what do, what do these things feel like? He's like. My, my, um, my son was down in Mexico. I hadn't seen him in a long time. Um, he ended up, um, killing himself. And I went down there and his house was full of all these skulls. And I just feel like he was in a dark place and devil worship. And I just feel like, you know, he's just surrounded by the satanic imagery. I'm like, I'm like, let me use, let me explain the whole culture behind this. Mm-hmm. I just spent an hour almost explaining to him. Yes, he was in a bad place, obviously. And, I, and I'm forever sorry for that. But, don't feel like he was wallowing in it. Don't feel like these these were symbols of that. This is the culture he was experiencing and, and embracing. These weren't negatives. Mm. And I finished explaining him the, the imagery and the happiness and then what the holiday and the festive means and, and trying to explain to him that he started crying. I started crying, obviously, at that point. But he was just so welcome and thanked me. He's like, just he thank me for saying, you know, for showing me that he wasn't in a bad place necessarily. That he wasn't, you know, wallowing in this. This wasn't a symbol of his insides or what his head was doing. You know, that's a separate issue, but he wasn't, you know, nothing I could have done. I couldn't have been down there and seen it. You know, he, just, he was happy that these things were a symbol of happiness amongst maybe his only 
you know, ray of light at that point in his life. So be able to have moments like that with people and, and share those stories and bridge those gaps. And that's why my work isn't flower faced girls. Like you, like the traditional imagery is, mm. you know, with the flowers around the eyes. Um, yeah. I avoid a lot of that because to me, that's, that's the culture and it's beautiful. And it's what it's, it's the purest form of that, but that's theirs. So for me, it was to take the inspiration from Day of the Dead and basically trying to give it to, to um, make it mine so I could be an ambassador to, to show it off. You know, it's, it's a fine line when it's not your culture. I was, I've been conscious of this for 15 years to make sure that I can be an ambassador and make me proud and share that without doing it a disservice. So I wanted to make it mine so I could, you know, it could stand out and I could share the roots of where it came from. So it's definitely something that we navigate to try and figure out and explain, you know, what these things mean. And I'm thankful to those movies because they've made it easier. I'm not the creepy guy in the corner, you know, painting stalls anymore. You know, they kind of know <laughs> what the things are. You know, I've, I've been to Disney. I've, I've been, done licensed work with them. So to be on site for that kind of stuff. And it, it's made things a lot easier for sure. Right. Right. And you've been, it sounds like you've been practicing cultural competency for uh, longer than I think the phrase has been around. <laughs> it's I become, mean, you, it's you become this, this hot pasty. Button. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's become it, it, it's become it's become a hot button thing. But you're right, and 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 as a social worker, I love hearing that because you're taking mm-hmm. this you're taking this heavily cultural aspect, and you're not necessarily mm-hmm. trying to copy it or wanting to be it. You're making it your own, but still able to be like, hey, doesn't have to be all. You know, this is how. This is how Mexico and their culture, this is how they process it. This is how they do it. You know, yeah. that's awesome. That that really is. It is. And I was always trying to translate, like, I want to explain to people the feeling that I had when I first saw it and how I was jealous and, and how I wished I had that my grandfather. I want my work to maybe be that for somebody else. Like someone whose dad did single action shooting. If he sees that cowboy piece and that reminds him of them and they can share that moment. Like I can be the translator almost to, you know, mm-hmm. take Day of the Dead, translate it so they understand it so then they can come back to it, you know, and kind of come full circle. I'm, again, I'm almost recruiting for the traditional holiday to share with people and how it can, it may not look like it matches your life that packaged way of sugar skulls, but here's how it does match your life. And here's a way you can relate to it and be into it, understand that it isn't scary. And you do share a lot more in common with this culture than you think you do. And that was a, yeah. a, a theme for me from the very beginning. I was just so conscious that, you know, I'm, in you know East LA doing shows, I want to be authentic. I want them to, to understand what I'm trying to do and, and not be dragged out back. You know, it's one right. of those things where right. you have to be authentic about what I was doing. Yeah. Well, and go ahead, Matt. And no, and you could you could easily not you personally, but I'm sure there's been situations where people oh. do get thrown out back because you yes. know you're copying and you're you're also again somebody else is going to copy and, and do it wrong. You know, yeah, and not bring exactly that, not bring that level of respect that the culture deserves. And then, and then the market was is flooded now with with you know not every tattooer is doing that without understanding anything of where it came from. They're just grabbing flash off the wall and knocking it down. And right. artists are doing the same thing, and and that's where it gets flooded with you know where you know Amazon has ten thousand Day of the Dead shirts. You know, designs. It's it's right. it's become a peak level now. Where I'm so glad that I was able to keep my authenticity and find a way it works for me. Because if I had just done flower face girls, I would just be like every other thing that's out there. And I, I was, I'm fortunate to have made those choices while trying to be authentic, to be honest with myself and to kind of let the work come from me through them rather than just take their work and, and spit it out and repackage it. 
Because for a lot of cultures, they have their own way to kind of process death. And this is one way of the Latin American community or Latinos to really process their own grief the way that they mm-hmm. move through death. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe had mentioned that you've kind of traveled the world exploring different cultures of kind of how they, they process death. So can you tell us a little bit more about how each culture kind of differs? We mentioned kind of the more American mm-hmm. where we have this very somber wake, whereas where in Mexico they have more of this celebration of the life of the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, and and it's and kind of the theme as I've traveled is is, is um, a lot of country, other countries, especially the Nordic countries and in, in Europe and Eastern Europe, um, All Souls Day is kind of the, the package of Day of the Dead comes in, and it's really, I mean, Halloween. These are all the same holidays, and they're all the basically the same religions. They're all just given different names. It's a pagan holiday, and Christianity takes it over. Makes I mean, it's all the same packaging. <laughs> but it's been changed and, and diverted and different cultures have t- adopted in different ways. You There's took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I was, was going to say that later, but it's okay. <laughs> exactly. But we it's all know it, that that's how we got Absolutely. here. You know, that's, that's how those things happen. Um, and again, and, and to see it, one of the best examples I have is I was in Austria for All Souls Day. This must have been, I think, two years ago. And so I, um, so All Souls Day is just like the Day of the Dead. It's a single day instead of the two that Mexico has. But it's actually um, a country holiday. Like restaurants and banks are closed and everybody goes to the cemetery. And we're talking, it looked like a stadium had gone out. I mean, there's people wow. everywhere. I went, I went to the, one of the biggest um, cemeteries in the area. Beethoven's there. You know, one, one of the, the big ones. They had built altars on Beethoven's um, grave the same way like it was in Mexico. But the most interesting part was as you walk in, there's a, a mini market, just like I'd seen in Mexico. And instead of marigolds and colors, it was all um, uh, pine cones and evergreen wreaths, which is what you think. It's almost, almost like, a, it's, it's funny to even think of it. It's almost a cliche that, oh yeah, it's colder here. So it's a more Nordic style of Day of the Dead. Mm. But it's exactly what it was. Everybody goes to cemetery on that day and they clean the grave off. They wash this, they cut the grass back, take old plants out, they put new flowers. And they, it's the almost the exact same holiday. You're just in sweaters and scarves, you know, with, with um, you know, more of a Can- Canadian style, you know, for those on the phone. The sure. style of day of the day where they, it's more of, the, you know, all the Nordic and pine cones and evergreens. And it's a beautiful celebration the same way, just in a more, it's a very um, kind of a European feel to it. It's a little tighter to the vest. There's no open wailing. There's no open crying. But it's still that, it's that remembrance. And it's that this is what we do on this day. And everyone does it. Every family member, you all go there. You do this for the cemetery. You clean the graves. You bring the flowers. You put things down, and then you you know you celebrate and you go on with your day. It's a not an into the night thing like in Mexico. It's an all night event. It was a very practical um, feel to it, but it's just to celebrate the exact same style. Um, just again, a little colder mm. and the colors are a little dimmer, but the same holiday. Um, it's really amazing to see that. And I hadn't that is I never yeah. seen that before. It wasn't often talked about. I never seen pictures of it before I was there. I kind of heard rumors and kind of planned a trip around it, but it was amazing to see that. Oh, I f- I felt this before. I know what's going on here. You know, this is just another version of you know what I've seen in other countries. What impact have you seen these celebrations have on people's mental health? Because in North America, we generally associate death with something like mentioned to be somber, something more depressed, where people tend to feel a lot of sadness and emotion. How does it differ in your understanding for from different cultures, different cult- countries? 
I think for the, the, the best analogy I can make is this. it's like taking the best parts of the wake after we've drank a bit and everybody's been there for a while. And then you share some funny stories to, to break the tension. Like that at the essence is really what I feel like at these celebrations. It's like you have them every year. So you, you are able to move past the, the feeling of loss and start to focus on the, the, how much you love remembering. You know, it's capturing the happy moments and you look forward to not just the moments of talking about them, but, but the being around everybody else and sharing that together where it's not a, let's tell stories about Papa. It's let's all talk what Papa meant to them. You know, it, it becomes this right. personal interaction. It's like a, a, an animated scrapbook of these people telling you these memories. And because you do it often every year and you look forward to it and you plan for it, it gets past the, the overall grief and loss that you feel, you know, at the initial loss of somebody and lets you always think about them at the happy, gives you an extra moment. You keep making memories about this person after they're gone, where when you have the more somber style, like you talked about, you don't make new memories. You know, you, you kind of go in and you self, and go to the, these, uh, the graveside, maybe you share your thoughts and, and feel close to them, but you don't make new ones. Well, when you celebrate Day of the Dead, Uncle told me this story about grandpa I never heard before. That is, yeah, I love that. And I had a little memory and a little happy story. You kind of build this thing and it never dies. It's, it's really gets to stay pulsing almost with this emotion and stories because it's being fed every year with more happiness and you get to build a foundation around it and not just be something that is a wallowing feeling. You know, it's not always negative. They're not coming back, but you have this scrapbook they can talk to each year. You know, that you don't have in other, yeah. other kind of you know, cultures. There's a little more camaraderie because you know everyone else is feeling somewhat the same as you are instead of when like you look at an American cemetery and there might be two or three people in there because they're celebrating that person's death on the day that they died instead of everybody celebrating exactly. at the same time. Right. Exactly. I, yeah. It, there's more of a community aspect too. You know, I think at times here in, in, in the U.S. and North America, grief sometimes tends to be a solo thing where you handle it on your own, you know, whereas what you're describing, it's much more of that camaraderie, much more like, Hey, let's all get together. Let's celebrate. Let's talk. Let's, you know, express like how much this person meant to us and things like that. It's honestly, it sounds better. (laughs) I I, I know it does. I I completely agree. And and I'm, I'm in there and I'm, they're telling me about story people I don't know, but I'm so moved that, that you're happy about sharing this. No one's sharing these stories with, with, with unhappy faces. You know, it's, it's, it's music around. And like you said, if you're all there at the same time, you almost get past the, we all lost somebody. Okay. We're past that part. Now let's get to, we're all here sharing memories and we're all, y'all, everyone's getting to the happiest part at the same time, surrounded by each other. You know, I completely agree. It's one of those ones where I feel like it's, it's, they're mm. never, it's the right direction. I couldn't, I can't find anything yeah. wrong with it. You know, when you, you share such happy things. Yeah. Because on a, on a, on a therapeutic level, like that's what we try to uh, teach. That's what we, that's what we try to express is to, you know, you know, we remember, and I know it sounds cliche on the surface, but remember kind of sort of the positive things, you know, not necessarily stop focusing that the person's gone, but keep more of the positive memories in because it tends to mm-hmm. help with the process. Um, and exactly. being able to to celebrate, you know, I actually used to love um, when I went to a cemetery to to visit a family member or a loved one. I always used to see somebody bring a grill and like would just start grilling and and, and uh-huh. drinking next to it, and, and like I love that because that's again that's a celebration. 
the drinking aspect is mm-hmm. probably not legal in the U.S., but still, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's it, exactly yeah. Whatever. What are you gonna do? Um, yeah, but like that's because th- that brings more of a celebration than a than a somber, and then you know, it's only so well, like like cliches, like you said, we're taught you know everyone handles grief differently. That's like yeah. the, you know, the generic thing we're taught growing up. So people are scared to you know go in different direction, but. Yeah, handle it differently also means handle it alone. That's what it's always meant. Yeah, you know, you go yeah. figure out how you're going to handle grief. You go figure out how you're going to handle grief. So we're taught this all the time, and from day one, we're taught this. You know, you hold your and as men, you hold your emotions in. I mean, all these these mm-hmm. things kind of work together to build these walls around us. When you're brought up as a kid, I mean, kids are running around the cemetery in Mexico and and sharing this. We're we're all going to die. It's going to happen. But wow, I get to be around here. It just the whole mask is pulled off from day one. And when you're raised in that kind of environment. You just become more accepting and, and I, lover of life. I feel like even and, and lover mm-hmm. of sharing those emotions and it's. I think it, the colors, the pageantry, the, the people of themselves. I feel like it's a, really a root of how they're so happy and how that that image and that you know just that lifestyle. It really adds to you know the, they don't have the fear. You know when you're in that cemetery, yeah. there's very little tears. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it's you know when you when you when you're going through this growing up as a kid and you know that you're you're going to meet your inevitable end, but you know that those that came before you, their lives are still celebrated. You're learning about people that you could have possibly never possibly known great, great, great ancestors. And they're still being talked about in a presence. Right. Mm-hmm. So in a way, mm-hmm. like they say, through the memory, you never die. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cause I mean, to be there and see their favorite foods laid out. I mean, it's, it's so personal, you know, that's yeah. a connection yeah. that I feel like we're missing. One thing a lot of people uh, often miss is one thing that's called death anxiety. Uh, it's something that is rather human where we are cognizant about our own mortality, that we know that our time is finite. And death is a big trigger. So remembering death or processing death is a big trigger for a lot of people where they will bring in their own mortality into question. So pop pop died what does that mean about my own mortality and that can bring a lot of difficult and somber emotions for a lot of people but i oh sorry no go ahead no the way that the way that that uh david was describing it before you know where you do you have that scene of like kids and running around a graveyard and, and 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 adults celebrating to me it almost is a sense of like a little bit of immersion therapy. Like you're still used to, like you still are, of course, nobody is happy or gun ho to, you know, meet their untimely end. But, you know, with that constant celebration, I, I would almost imagine that in certain cultures, it's not as anxiety producing because it's been a part of their lives for so long. So death is not fear. Death is celebrated in a mm-hmm. sense, in a weird mm-hmm. way. It sounds weird saying that out loud. <laughs> well, it, it helps process some of that anxiety yeah. that a lot of people can, can have because you're no longer fearing the thing that is so potentially disastrous mm-hmm. for a lot of people. You, you are processing it and you know that people will celebrate yeah, I mean, you, you, 
we all grew up in a, I, I think all of us grew up in a culture that found it, you know, death and funerals and everything as something that's depressing and everything to once mm-hmm. you accept it and you move on to celebrating it, like a lot of the other cultures have all like transpired into and grew into when you get to the celebration of it, it turns it into a positive where you accept it and you start to celebrate it as a positive. Like, yeah, we lost, you know, we lost aunt Jean. I mean, she was, Hey, you remember that one time she gave me that pencil for, for my birthday. Oh man, we knocked it, had a football on the end of it. Oh, that day was terrible. You know what? She was just kind of quirky. You know, that was a great thing. And then the next person shares and the next person. And then it turns into, you see smiles instead of tears and, you remember the person as a positive, you know, having a positive impact on people than, you know, being in a depressive hole. And it's a lot more harder when you lose somebody close to you, but it's more of an opportunity to share more love for that person. Like, Hey, yeah. I, I was, this person meant so much to me. I have so much love for them. I could share the world with you and what they did that changed this world, you know, with their time here. And you remember them, you know, going forward from there. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And it's funny to, to, to see how we've shifted. If you go back to the you know, late 1700s to, to mid 1800s, um, it was basically the kind of Victorian memento mori movement where um, basically memento mori is Latin for remember to die. It was basically, I mean, it was on funerals. It was on um, death rings. You basically, if someone passed away, you would have hair braids and um, jewelry made of their hair. You, the hairline yeah. jewelry. You, you, and this was because it was kind of like um, remembering them. It was keeping a piece of them with you. It's the same time that um, death card photography was coming into play in the late 1800s, where they would take pictures of the dead child in their hands or the dead mm-hmm. mother with the family. It was capturing these moments and sharing and, and not the stigma. It was very practical. I mean, back then the average lifespan was 40, so you, you knew a lot of death in your life. And coming off of the, um, you know, plagues and everything else they'd have. So the idea that was that acceptance of it, like you talked about, and to see how it's this wave of acceptance and we deal with it, the Mensa Mori movement, and then come the more Puritan beliefs, come the late 1800s, civil war in this country sees so much death where it becomes the opposite. We don't want to see any more dead pictures anymore. We don't want to see any of that stuff. We don't mm. want to see, you know, it's, it's a somber time and it starts pushing us farther and farther away while Europe, again, these churches, the bones are, are on display in catacombs. You know, they still are today. This is a more accepting, just to see how these different cultures have gone different routes and been really close and come back. And to see some of these other ones like Day of the Dead have stayed very traditional in their beliefs and celebrations. There hasn't been a, a tremendous movement, even as they became more Catholic, to reel that in. You know, I always laugh at um, in Bolivia, there's on Day of the Dead, which is based on the same day. So the way they celebrate is they bring um, skulls to the church. Now, the church hates this, but they realize they have to deal with it. So once a year, they're allowed to bring these skeletons and they're not family skeletons. It's just a skull head. And it's usually what they do is they buy them like talismans. If, it, if they're not lucky enough, they're not feeling like it's enough good fortune, they sell a skull and get another one. But they put cigarettes mm. in their mouths. They put sunglasses on. They wear beanie hats. It's, it's an amazing experience. If you've ever seen That's pictures. So you look up, um, That's cool. And, and then so it, they sit there on that, on that day in church. They're allowed to bring them. And they just, they're all lined up. And to them, these are just interchangeable. And some are good luck and some are bad luck. But they, they, they have this attachment. It's, again, it's acceptance of your own mortality but understanding how these the essence and life force can still be attached to these these skulls 
you know, it's still the idea of remembrance. It may not be a family member, but it's still attached to you. The Aztecs used to bury their dead in their living room below the floor to be close to them. You know, all these cultures had the same, you know, feeling. It's just expressed in a bunch of different ways, but the core roots are all the same. You know, and to see that in all these different places I travel is really the amazing part that we're so much the same, no matter how many thousands of miles may separate us. That's incredible. And you you shared with us before uh, earlier today, you sent us a folder of, since we're on this topic, some images of some representations of cultures around the world that you've visited and taken pictures of. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you're not tuning into the live show right now and you aren't able to see these images, we'll have them available to you in the show notes. If you scroll down a little bit further in your uh, Apple podcast or whatever you're listening on, you'll see a link and you can follow along with these images and they're really cool. But with the live chat, uh, we're going to bring up the uh, pictures right now so you can pause around right now. We're looking at the, uh, the skulls on the table with all the different art yes. uh, pieces on them. Yes. Yes. So this is a small town in Austria called Hallstatt. Um, honestly, this is my favorite, probably my most favorite settings. Um, so basically I went to, to Austria with this small room in mind. It's 10 by 10 feet. It's in the back of a church. Took me an hour to even find the room. Um, this is the entire uh, contents of the village is all, was all was allowed to be buried there. Um, and what they would do is, is as you see the dates that are on the skulls, they're basically decorated by the family and the dates that are put on there. And each family member sits inside this room and they stopped putting bodies in there. I think 1920s or 30s was the last time a, a skull was put in there. I think maybe one got in later because she took care of the place, but that's about it. And those are all people from the church. Um, and it's a beautiful little room on, on a, a mountainside church. It overlooks this beautiful lake. I had flown 7,000 miles to be there. And I remember being inside by myself and we're so fortunate there was no one else in there. I got a good 20 minutes to be in there and see this beautiful room and nowhere else really paint skulls like this. This is a pretty unique way um, of, of, of treating the skulls. There's, I think it's only one other place in the world that does this, but really Hallstatt is, is known for this. And I can hear people outside going, Oh, one Euro, a donation to get in the room. Oh, I'm not doing that. And I'm laughing at myself that I flew 6,000 miles to be in this room. Like this is all that mattered <laughs> to me that thousands of dollars I've spent to be in this room at that moment. But, to see how the care that went into the painting of the skulls on there. And just imagine how personal that is. And, you know, imagine holding your parents' skull and be putting their date on there and putting their name and, and painting that beautiful filigree on there. I mean, that's so personal to me. It's, it's like a mummy, you know, it's like it's, it's being that close to the person. It's just something that's indescribable. And I can't even imagine the emotions, good and bad, that must be going through unless you plan your whole life that that event is coming. It, that's how I celebrate. I see granddad's skull over there and mine will be there one day too. I guess it's like you said, it's being in that life cycle to understand that this isn't a good or bad moment. It's a moment, you know, it's something you share that has all the emotions tied into it, but it's very personal. And then that was a amazing to be again in that little room and then be part of that. I just felt like I'm being into that little fraternity again, that secret society. They're sharing what they do with me. I, I felt humbled to be in that room. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's definitely it's amazing. Some of these skulls have such intricate like wreaths and floral uh, mm-hmm. like head headbands like painted mm-hmm. onto them, and that that's got to be an incredible. That's an incredible culture like tradition for this, and yeah. uh, well can, worth a euro to get in there. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. I, I'd pay ten euros to get in there. I don't even know what a euro's worth, you know, versus American. I'd still pay it. It's, it's like Hold on. money. No one knows. Someone get Google. <laughs> we would do in conversion from Celsius to Fahrenheit. Let's just get Google. Oh, 
Now the I next thing minutes last time. I know. <laughs> Joe, before you switch off really quick, sure. This might be a stupid question. <laughs> um ask away. How do they get the ink or how do they what do they use to draw on it? It's 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 basically acrylic paint, you know, oh, oil okay. and acrylic paint. Okay. Yeah. And, they, like and I the said, family would refresh them sometimes too, you know, they could be it's an option they have to to refresh them and kind of you know, it's they like they're the caretakers. They go or go in and they would take care of that skull. You know, they'd be allowed to kind of keep it, you know, the way it looks and, and all the family's all there. And yeah, just hand painted, you know, with oil or acrylic paint. So amazing. The amazing thing is some of the dates you see right on that look like they were recently touched up because of how black mm-hmm. the ink is on it. Yeah. Are, uh, yeah. And it's, it's a damp candlelit room. I mean, there's nothing, you, there's nothing get in there. Those, that paint is just, you know, lasting in there. There's no, uh, no exposure to the elements in there. Just like the the one up front with the roses, like I yeah. want that as a tattoo. Like that's how mm-hmm. that's how nice that looks. Like that that's amazing. You know what? That would be a great story right there. You could have that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can borrow this picture and go. Oh, I want something <laughs> resemble this, and then you can tell the story of this night hanging out with David and him sharing this this part of this culture. In Austria. <laughs> well, that's really cool. I think the cooler moment would be to be there and, and, and see that. That yeah. must have been so, that, too. that must have seven thousand so miles, then you can get legally yeah. done. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can I can feel accomplished that I can now get that tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. It's funny to see to see these well taken care of skulls. And on one of my trips to Mexico, um, because the cemeteries are so small there, um, some of the other the poorer towns, what they do is they, they put the body in the ground and you kind of um rent the space that they're too small to have huge cemeteries and too poor so they almost like you you get the body it's put in the ground for three years and then you come back and get the bones and it's your job to put them in a final resting place it was very emotional for me to see bodies not picked up um i was allowed to walk along as these racks in the back and there's just like buckets with a skeleton in it you know mismatch and i could see stuff peeking out and, and to see them abandoned and not picked up you know, by family members. It was a really emotional, you know, highs and lows. I don't even, I don't know these people. I don't know their stories, but to see them almost abandoned after seeing so much pride, it's, I, it gives me mixed feelings sometimes to see abandoned skulls not being taken care of, or at least, you know, honored by somebody or somebody missing them. Are these, somebody can't find their loved ones. It's, it's, you become strangely emotionally attached to some of these, you know, where they, when I first, you know, when I was a kid, I would have been like, oh, cool, skull, skulls and bones, but to be, the stories behind them, the more I travel, the more attached I get. I find myself, you know, feeling those kind of emotions when I see things like that. Because yeah. you, can, you can tell a lot about a culture by, by how they deal and how they honor their dead. Right. Mm-hmm. One of the, the most famous cultures that we know of about how they, they take care of or took care of their dead were ancient Egyptians. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the entire ceremony of mummifying someone was extremely laborious. Yep. Putting all the things with them to, to, to guide them through the afterlife. Yeah, just it's, it's amazing that the effort and steps, how different it is. It's amazing some of the levels, like you said, you can really judge you know societies by how they do that. Didn't they say like mummification would take sometimes over a month or several months yep. to uh, mummify yeah. somebody? Yep. Incredible. Because when you think about it, yeah. like, you know, how our exposure to Hollywood and cinema and everything, mummification, it's like you die, end of the week, you're a mummy. But <laughs> in reality of it is, no, 
the body has to naturally like decompose to a point where they can access mm. things a little bit easier and how they use their tools at certain points during that, that uh, decomposition in different phases to get certain things out and this and that. And, and just the whole ceremony and process of it is just absolutely incredible. Uh, yeah, little, how, how little we still know about that process. Exactly. I mean, we have some yeah. examples of, of we don't know let alone you know exactly. the <laughs> process of notification. But uh, this might be my. Someone's gonna put aliens in the comments for sure. <laughs> Ancient aliens already did it. This might be my uh, my final question before um, I turn into one of those skulls. Unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Personally, and you don't have to get too personal if you don't want to, Mm -hmm. um, but during your travel and during your, I'm going to call it research on on all of this, (laughs) has it taken a toll on on your like mental health? Because you you touched upon it a little bit before how like seeing Mm -hmm. all of uh, seeing that kind of affected you a little bit. You know, has it taken like a little bit of a toll or? You know, it's funny. It definitely um, it's a level of responsibility that I feel. I think mm. not a burden, but I, I feel the weight to comes with the art, like to be that ambassador, to be out there, to see these things and to translate them and bring them back to people who won't be able to go and see those things. I feel the weight of that responsibility, but almost in like an empowering way. Yeah. Um, from the flip side, though, there is a mortality question. You cannot see all these bones and be in all these churches and see yeah. and not have that up and up in front. But I have. I'd rather face that and realize it doesn't make me any less, you know, the, the, the panic of you told me in five minutes I'm gone is not going to stop that panic. But I think it, what it does is help the day to day. You know, it helps me kind of figure out what my role is and to be as positive and as, as, as strong as I can. And it helps power me with the art where I don't get to have painter's block. I need to get out there because it could be gone tomorrow. You know, I don't get to skip out on decisions because it could be gone tomorrow. And having that power is it's, well, it's a, a double edged sword having that weight and that responsibility, I think questioning more mortality and being out there has helped me, but it was a filtering process to understand because you have to talk about this with yourself in your head and acknowledge these things you're seeing. You can't just blow them off and, and not talk about, you know, we're going to die. These are things that how, how is it going to be? How's my health? With All those things definitely factor into k- taking that weight and it's cumbersome at first. But as I started to acknowledge what I was doing and finding the joy in it and seeing these people celebrating other loved ones, it helped me deal with the questions I had about my own mortality, but it made me face them. You can't look at all this and not face them. So if you answer your question, yes, there was a moral you know, wading into my own mortality and dealing with how I was going to deal with that going forward in my life made me deal with that maybe faster than if I wasn't doing the art and traveling in that way. Yeah. But it gave me the power on the other side when I had dealt with those things and faced them and realized where my role was. It took off some of the pressure and gave me a, a burning energy to, to kind of turn that into something positive. You know, don't let that fear immobilize you, kind of use it to move forward. Which is the same, I feel like it's the techniques I've used to deal with people I've lost in my life, but it's like a day-to-day thing to keep me going in my life too. An amazing answer. Someone needs to teach me how to use Twitch so I can clip all of that. Because no, because that's that's a perfect answer on how you took control of your own emotions how you took control of your own 
feelings towards everything and you turned it into a positive you turned it into this passion and moral responsibility to do this in order to do the thing that you love and mm-hmm. it, it it took you down a few paths it sounds like but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. you came out of it a I want to curse a, a ton stronger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you came out and, stronger. And, yeah. And I think, and I think like you said, talked about earlier, sharing this conversation with you guys now. And, and it's, it's, it's funny. Some of this stuff hasn't been verbalized until you asked that question. Some of the stuff I've, I've thought about, but not outwardly verbalized it until, you know, put on the spot in that way and asked about those things. It's again, it's the internal monologue and you think you've solved something, but until you've actually asked about it and, and it comes out, you go, Okay, that's like the, uh, I just affirmed <laughs> that I have dealt with that. You know, yeah. it's one of those things. It's an evolving thing. Because you can lie to yourself and say, that, oh, yeah, I, I know how I feel about death. I'm all great. It's all going to be great. But to actually verbalize and, and go through those emotions as I'm explaining to you, even that was a small moment. I'm like, okay, I, I, I feel honest to myself in, in saying those things. So it's, <laughs> it's one of those conversations that doesn't ever end, really, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thank like you. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you answering that the way that you did. Thank you. <laughs> no, no great. problem. That's a great question. <laughs> it was a great question. Uh, you know, that's funny. Just we're we're sitting here talking about it, and I, I don't know if you saw me hold it up earlier. It's just something you know, like I did this, mm-hmm. not even knowing, not even knowing, you know, that there there was an entire culture that that dressed up skulls and in homage to their yeah. lost ones. And this is this is actually an homage to my mother. This is her old riding helmet. Um, yeah. But again. I live out here in Los Angeles. I've been so subsumed in the culture of right. how they handle uh, death and loss yeah. that it just, that was one of those things I had. I had an old science skull laying around and some of mom's old gear and that, that's just something I put on my shelf. It's amazing how uh, something that simple can rub off on you and, and kind of hit you to the core. And, and when you said, oh yeah, they just, they bring skulls and they put beanies on them and sunglasses on them. I'm going, I, I need to go over to my shelf real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have this. It's, 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 it's natural human reactions to animate these things in, in ways right. that make you feel comfortable and things that remind you of these people. It's, it's like, it's one of those core things that you do without even realizing it. Yeah. That makes you feel better. You know, it, it brings up the sensation of even though the person is, physically gone they're still spiritually there in some way shape or form mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice and this is in a variety of cultures mm-hmm. speaking of that yeah, I, I can't you, I, I can't tell you how many sideways looks i've gotten from people that have walked in my office and they go what the heck is that thing i said oh, that's that's my mom's gear and they go um is that your mom's skull and i got no it's it's a neighbor that used to steal my <laughs> right <laughs> the last person that someone who out. has who has two actual human heads in my entryway i understand the look right <laughs> look at that you found the somebody nearby that can relate <laughs> <laughs> exactly who needs a head <laughs> but to bring it back around to uh you know, representations around the world. I want to get through the rest of these pictures. So some of them are really amazing. Um, the next one we're looking at are the wreaths that are in yes. a square. Yeah. And so those are, and that, that's Austria. And that's just kind of showing you the, you know, instead of the colored, you know, and you'll see that the one from Mexico later, um, it's, it's just instead of marigolds and beautiful flowers, it's, you know, um, uh, pine cones and yeah. all, you know, this Nordic feel to it, but it's the same thing. And every, basically the outside is a huge market. And you buy your flowers and your wreaths and you bring them all to the, to the grave and you put them all there with candles. And again, it's the exact same celebration, just in a much colder environment. 
Nice. And the next one we have is really, we're going to get into the really unique ones now. And uh, this one is a uh, the inside of a cathedral with a skeleton uh, chandelier. And yes, so that's one of the most interesting. Yeah, that's one of the most famous ones. And you'll still see videos of that floating around. That's that's Kuntahor or Sedlik is what it's most commonly called. Um, So basically, it's it's a bone chapel and it was built from plague bones. What happened with a lot of these things, just like like the catacombs in France, is um, these guys were stacking bones and got bored and started making patterns and shapes and hearts and all these different things. And you know, built this chapel was built out of this. And again, back then in that, that memento mori type of thing, you know, it was showing, facing down your death and going there. And this is a reality of life. It was just much more, this is the way it is. And we have all these bones. Well, they're cheaper than building, using stones to build the church. And they built this beautiful ossuary because mm-hmm. all the bodies were buried inside the church. You were buried in crypts below you. There was no, cemeteries didn't really exist until much later. You were buried in the church. So when the, the plague happened and, and the b- bodies were, pushed into this area had so many more bodies they were just stacked up and they had to find a way to get rid of them they built these beautiful again Sedlik is like the most amazing restored version of what they look like um these beautiful bone chandeliers and bone passageways i mean i was there for hours taking pictures as as someone who enjoys skeletons i mean this is like the, the taj mahal of bones it's amazing and it's still a tiny little space maybe maybe 100 feet wide by uh, 100 feet long um wow. cold stone inside but but beautiful, um, all different th- uh, Latin words written in bones on the walls, uh, beautiful chandeliers and, and posts that with skulls and bones and femurs, jaws that make up um, butterfly symbols. I mean, all these different parts of the bones, which I had seen in, in a bunch of other countries used in the same way. They would use the hip um, bones a lot to make butterflies and the scapulas. They'd use the, the plates to make you know butterfly shapes and a lot of patterning, mm-hmm. geometric patterning using the jaw bones all lined up together. It's, it's amazing to see in that area. That's probably one of the most famous ones, you know, Sedlik Ossuary. If you want to look it up, you can see all the pictures. It's just a, an amazing place. Right. Then the next one we have is, uh, it looks like the altar. Uh, it's got... Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah. And again, so that's the best. And the, Sedlik is a, is a large area, but what's all these places, that's from the Czech Republic, that picture you're showing now. And um, the best part about these places is that this is just the way it was. Every church had an ossuary. And in the ossuary is where the bones would be. And I've been to ones where they're just underneath a hole in the ground and there's just a pile of old bones there. I've been to them where they've just gotten rid of them all and buried them in a mass grave out in the cemetery. It's just every church had one and some still remain. Some are locked up and you can't go to. And a few like these here are like the neighborhood ossuaries. This isn't a church that was, it's an outdoor. What you're seeing is me taking a picture at the front gate. It's just a little itty bitty room. Yeah, you can see the leaves on the floor. Uh, like it's an yeah, open, open the, area. The whole front is, is open with it. It has a, um, a raw iron gate in front of it, but it's just out there and it's just out. There's no guard. Wow. There's no door. There's, it's just out in the middle and it's just part of the, uh, the church grounds. Um, I mean, I always laugh because if that was in the States, that would be broken into and be gone in, in an hour, you know, right. Able to keep something like that, you know, <laughs> and I was taking pictures there and it, cold, brisk, nobody else was there. And then it was always the funniest part. Um, automatic gunfire broke out. This is Czech Republic in the middle of nowhere. Automatic gunfire is such a stereotype, a uh, cliche, <laughs> but automatic gunfire broke out from about two or three blocks away. Um, we, we could smell it. We knew it was going on. We didn't know what was going on. We're like, probably a good time to wrap it up. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, let, let's get going. But being in, in the Czech Republic, there's three or four places that were just um, game changing for me to see uh, these kind of experiences. You know, when you go to Sedlik, the one you showed before, it's a tourist place. There's buses out front. You know, you're, 
this is known worldwide. There's, there's videos, movies, everything. This little place, I mean, I only found through a site, through a site, through a translated site, maybe it's still there. Here's some rare, you know, directions. And the directions were like, pass the tree and take a left. Like, it wasn't any roads. So to find this little neighborhood <laughs> area man. to see this little, yeah, yeah it was X terrible. marks the spot. To find these little areas and share these little intimate details. Like, to me, yeah. it's just so intimate to see these bodies out there as part of the town. The town just kind of, it's ours. We keep it clean and it's, and it's part of us. And to be part of that and see those areas was really, again, the highlight of the Czech Republic was those kind of areas because it was just full of churches that had little ossuaries. And, you, and I went to, we went to probably, we set out for 10 destinations and six of them were closed and no one knew how to get in there and no one even goes there. And, you know, two, we talked our way into one paid our way into and the other one, you know, kind of, it was all those kind of situations, but each one was so unique because they're just, I'm the only one out there looking for them sometimes. Like no one even cares or just share, even people who live in the town are like, I don't know where that is. You know, it was a, but to be finding these areas and these really? lost gems of, of, of cultural areas is, and that's how prevalent they are, where they don't even know in their own town where they exist. So it's just amazing to be able to, I feel incredibly fortunate to be able to gather this little encyclopedia of weirdness that I've built my life around, you know, and share these experiences. Because it goes back to the, you know, I see the bones, I feel those connections now. They're not just, you know, bones anymore. They're, they're either people. And I kind of feel that when I'm in there and I feel that, that the weight of that. Now, I see this ossuary here, and it, it, it's going to be kind of like a go-to, which is a lot of you know people, I'm sure, around the world do. They they see how they're stacked like this in the cubbies on mm-hmm. top of one another, you know, just kind of placed in there. And you think of like the catacombs and places in Paris and how yep. they handled their dead, like mm-hmm. underground in, in the catacombs and stuff like that. And it seems very, very similar to... It's the it's the same completely the same thing. I, I've been to the catacombs in, in France, and it's the same thing. It's literally they were bored down there. There were so many bodies that they just started making patterns to amuse themselves. Especially in France, that's literally there wasn't as much religious oversight. It wasn't um, it wasn't a uh, an ossuary. It was just basically a crypt, and they started filling it and making shapes. That's all they were doing, and basically made this beautiful area. And they're like, okay, it's pretty cool. Let's have people look at it. You know, it, it kind of became this afterwards. Most of these are all on holy grounds, on churches in areas that you know the catacombs were just catacombs. They weren't even religious at that point. But it's the yeah. same thing. You see the shapes and the and the way they're stacked. I mean, somebody carefully placed everything. Every single bone that's there was carefully placed by someone at one time. Yeah. Now, uh, so amazing. The, the next image we're looking at is the three skulls inside of like a little uh, representation of like a church. It looks like. <laughs> Exactly. And I, so that this is basically from, uh, from Naples, um, in Italy. And this is, um, the La Fontanelle Cemetery. Um, it's an underground cemetery that houses, it's kind of like an, uh, an end all spot for, um, old cemeteries, World War II victims. Um, a large, a large amount were put there. And a lot of the, um, other ossuary, local ossuary were all kind of dumped in this one huge underground vault. It, it's, it's like a giant, um, uh, rock A-frame underground. You're underground the entire time, but the, but the roof goes up probably 80 to 100 feet. And it's wow. a big triangle. And, and, and it's probably, I want to say, a football field deep and skulls line all the sides. And they're hmm. stacked 10 high in a rows and in the side rooms that have rows and side rooms that have sculptures done with the skulls. Um, to see this contemporary version almost, because every, all the other places I've shown you are much older. And this is most likely late 19 late 1900s 
to, I think they stopped putting bodies in there around World War II. So you, what you see is there's families that are still, you know, they go there that know some of these names and those, they make these little, like you said, um, little church box that it's in. It has their name on there and you'll see pennies and you'll I see, see um, rosaries. Yeah. And you see they're, they're going there and they're leaving offerings um, to say I was here. You know, they'll leave cards, they'll leave cigarettes. You know, it's amazing to see this. this and there, some of the stuff has been there. Now a coin will sit there and, and there's an inch of dust on it. You know, someone put that there 40 years ago. And to see that, you know, that, that, but the time somebody took to make that little box for they, you know, and there's whole sections of, of boxes just like that for each little family. And it's, it's amazing that, again, it goes back to, they've all built these little mini niches, just like, you know, Egyptians built, you know, pyramids or these little crypts, you know, this little thing to house you, to keep you safe and to, for me to remember you and to find you when I come, come back to here, you know, each year. It's a, mm-hmm. a very honest, and they're all, you know, the, the construction is very primitive. But it's, they're very honest, you know, and it's one of those things that just makes me to see that it was so different than everything else I had seen. I love seeing something that I haven't seen before, you know, and, and that just felt very personal. And seeing the mementos and the the objects just kind of brought a connection to those pieces mm-hmm. that I didn't feel when I was at, you know, other places where the bones are, you know, hundreds of years old. This was something that someone knew this person or was moved by this so much they left an offering or a rosary or those kind of moments. It's just a... It was really an um, amazing experience. Again, these are all so amazing. I hate to keep using the word over and over, but <laughs> these are, you know, for me, why I travel so far and why I try and yeah. see these things because it helps me understand life in general. Like you said, it goes back to you going, okay, I can deal with anything. Look at what's <laughs> out there. Look what, you know, it helps people to deal with everything that goes on because, you know, this is the way the world is. Right. You know, I, I, I say on a daily basis, oh, I've seen it all. No, no, no. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> you, my friend, you have seen it all. <laughs> I must agree. This is I, I, but, I, I, but I'm constantly surprised. I, I, I yeah. think that, and then I, I see something different. You know, it's, a, and that's why I, I, I'm as a side note. That's why I love to travel so much. That I feel like when you can be uncomfortable and be somewhere else, whether it be in a different state, different country, I think you're just you're honest who you are. You know, once you get over your own your misconceptions and you just kind of blend in and, and be the minority in a crowd and, and be learning and be open to those kind of experiences. It just changes who you are. I feel like it just gives you those helps you understand you more to be somewhere so far from you, you know, helps you identify what is true about you and what's the day to day stuff we just carry around. I unfortunately need to bow out for uh, my wife has my head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but David, I want to leave, but it was a pleasure meeting you. Um, this, you too. this is a- amazing. And I look forward to seeing your stuff, to buying your stuff. Um, and <laughs> uh, hopefully we touch base again soon because this was this was amazing. So thank you. Um, but that's just no, thank me. you for having me again. That's just me leaving. Um, <laughs> everybody else. Well, now it's no fun there. now. I, I even here anymore. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I try. I wanted to bow out <laughs> as gracefully as I possibly could. Guys, have a good no night. Worries. I'm so sorry. No worries. I'll see you Take tomorrow, man. Be well. So, yeah. Now, the last picture we have before we uh, roll on is uh, the one from Mexico, the Day of the Dead, like shrine. Yes. And that's basically just a normal household. And obviously, this is kind of a, of a big hacienda. So it's a little bigger than normal. But every house has these. They, some of them are small on a bench. Some of them are full tables. But mm-hmm. every house builds an altar to the what we talked about before. And there'll be the food that they loved. There'll be, you know, offerings, the, 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 the spirits, the, the, the liquor they loved. There'll be the magazines, the music, their smokes. It'll all be there. Their glasses. 
in this little thing and they just put the food there like they're coming to dinner, you know, and it's that, that remembrance is being so close to them. And every house has these, as you, as you travel in Mexico, every restaurant has one. Some are, are restaurants or, or um, places will do themed ones for a person um, or a full town one or for an animal, but they're almost always the small houses. They're for someone in that house. You see black and white pictures of these people. And it's just such a, um, an honest experience, really, again, use that word is to see that, you know, this is their loved ones and, and this is what they do. And, and it's that matter of factness about the whole thing that really makes it warm and inviting. And so you see here the flowers, this is the marigolds and the symbol of Day of the Dead, the orange flowers. And that's, it's the same thing as the Nordic version I explained in All Souls Day, just yeah. in a, a different colors and a warmer environment, but it's the same every year. We remember people at this time and we're excited about this. And this is a happy time for us to remember sadder times, but still take away that positivity. Right. That's great. I love, I love seeing these, these, these cultures. It brings such a positive note to, to losing, you know, family members and loved ones and others to just take that time every year to remember them and, you know, turn something that we grew up like almost fearing to something of accepting and celebrating. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. It truly is beautiful. Everything that you, uh, all the images you showed us are, are truly amazing. And uh, seeing the, you know, how they're represented around the world is I- incredible. And having that exposure right there, seeing each one and just taking it in, comparing it to our own is, is incredible. This is uh this was a treat, a real treat. Thank you for sharing these these pictures with us. No, thank you so I, much. I'm, like, I'm thrilled to share the stories. It's, 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 and I love this conversation too because these are great. I don't get these conversations a lot when it comes to the art. These are things that are usually separate from it, you know. But this, how much they're intertwined, I forget. You know, sharing these stories and, and realizing just how much it defines who I am and where I am now by all these all these pieces. You know, we just laid the puzzle of me out. And kind of reconnected parts that I've forgotten how they all got there. You know, it's it's fun to take this trip and, and look back that you don't mm-hmm. often do in your day to day basis. So to to go through things and go, oh yeah, I remember that, that was okay. That's why I felt that way. That oh, that's I forgot about that. You know, to visit and share these stories and, and how they relate, and to talk to people who haven't had those experiences and to be able to share, you know, the feelings. You guys all have these same feelings. Here's a picture I saw that expresses how you guys feel. You know, to share that and connect in that way is just I appreciate that it's one of those you know interactions that you don't get on a daily basis mm-hmm. it's amazing yeah i absolutely agree and thank you so much for sharing that I, I, I no no problem this has been fun it has been fun and i'm glad your 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 setup is held out this long it, it's it seems to be tested now. <laughs> <laughs> trust me that's usually on my setup so usually around like 12 o'clock i turn into a pumpkin and uh, this is the longest it's ran, so your internet goes. We're doing good. Gets to a pumpkin. Great. Well, <laughs> well I, mean, we, uh, I went through the whole house and turned everybody's phone off, so there's no wireless pads in the house right now. <laughs> really? no, one gets, no one gets to use anything. <laughs> nothing. You get nothing. <laughs> no internet embargo right now. Barter town <laughs> finished. No Netflix. I love the Mad exactly. Max reference. You made my night, <laughs> and it was epic. Good. Nate, what do we got in uh, gaming news right now? Well, um, you know, our community um, started based in the game Destiny, as a lot of you well know, and we got a uh, a little bit of a shocker at the end of this week's uh, weekly update from uh, from Bungie themselves. 
our uh, head community manager, um, Deej, who has been with the company now for nine years, or going on nine years, he will actually be leaving at his nine-year mark, um, saying goodbye and moving yep. on to something new. He is moving on. Nine years with uh, Bungie Studio as their lead community manager, and he's moving on to uh, to something else. And, you know, good for him. You know, he, he really... Uh, not a lot of people. Nine years. Nine years. Not a lot of people know who who he is, but this is a person that was so passionate about community that he brought a whole new meaning to community manager in the game space. He brought everything. He brought that that relationship between game developer and community and player to a whole new level and gave them a voice. But he was also the liaison that gave more information than usually any studio would give out. You yeah, know, right. Yeah, and he was always very honest and upfront with it. And then this back when uh when we first got in when Destiny One was its first thing and going through its alpha and its growing pains. Um there were a lot of studios that would just kinda shut the doors and just, you know, put their hands over their ears, put bury their head in the head in the sand and just kind of pound away on the keyboards trying to code it out to fix it. Um, Deej was the first one that we saw that, that kind of got out there and said, hey, yeah, you know what, this one's this one's on us. We hear you. Uh, the the yeah. famous we're listening uh, that sometimes gets memed a lot, but that that was him. That was the first his first foray out <laughs> to the community and go, yeah. we hear you. We're listening, and this is what we're trying to do to fix it. And if I don't have an answer, I'll tell you I don't have an answer. And he was very honest and forthcoming with that, and that earned a lot of respect from the community. I think we would not see Destiny anywhere near the shape that it's in now had we not had that kind of communication. Yeah. Well, look I at mean, the difference Des- Bungie and Destiny had compared to Bioware and Anthem. Mm-hmm. Both oh, games God. launched in a really, really bad spot. Bungie had been forthcoming. They were communicating, explaining what they were working on with those consistent updates, whereas Bioware has just gone radio silent. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, they locked the door. They went full Willy Wonka, you know, behind the uh, the gates and everything. They, they shut it down. They're not going to open those gates again until they have something to show everybody. But, you know, we, uh, you know, good for Deej and, uh, you know, good luck on all of his future endeavors. And I'm sure it's not the last we'll see of him. I mean, no, any, any, he definitely left the uh, community management in very capable hands between uh, Cosmo and DMG. Well, there's also several others too that are right in the background that will probably be coming forward a little bit, you know, very soon. I think Chris is one of them too. Um, But no, uh, he was also a one of a kind wordsmith. That guy could crank out verbiage and everything else like a freaking English professor. Uh, he's a spin doctor is what he was. Oh, he could, man. He he had a gift for... It's like he lived on Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> Eat around the bush with the best of them. Yeah, but uh, what else we got? Uh, uh, Amazon recently launched a uh, shoot-em-up game called Crucible. And uh, in the be- right. earlier on in the year, they moved it to a closed beta because I guess there was a whole bunch of issues with it. And they... Re- they last week made the announcement that they are shutting the game down 
already. So on November 9th, those servers are going to be shut down and that game is done. They're moving wow. to uh, a new MMO called New World. I don't I've, yeah, I've know seen if it. it's going to be any good, but yeah, I mean, that's 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 uh, a big thing for Amazon, I think. To just that's say, a you know lot what? of resources put into something to just kill. So exactly. Fast. I mean, they, they have money to burn for crying out loud, so they could actually... No, their owner money. has money to burn. <laughs> yeah. He true. could single-handedly, you know, fund colonizing Mars at this point. But no, yeah, well, we'll we'll see. I, I did see a few trailers on that new world game. That that yeah. did look kind of cool. That did but look- Amazon is kind of becoming this new player in the gaming space. They're trying to at least. You know, with this new <laughs> streaming service. Uh, what, right, with called? Luna. Yeah. Luna. Tried to pick up where uh, where Stadia died. Yeah. It's, that uh, hurts. That hurts. Yeah. Well, you know, they see the gaming community or, you know, the gaming, I I don't even know what you would call it, <laughs> the business of gaming is so enormous right now. I mean, you got to think this is a almost a trillion dollar venture right now worldwide. And to get just a small piece of it could be astronomical. I mean, one game that's developed by seven people in New Zealand, seven buddies in a garage in New Zealand could be the next, uh, Fall Guys that turns into a, a multi-million dollar game and like the number one game in the world for a month or two straight. That's mm-hmm. it's huge. And for Amazon not to get a piece of that pie, it would be like, I don't know. It, everybody's looking at it now as a new, new venture and, uh, you know, uh, a possible, uh, area for capital you know for you know to raise more capital and you know what what can we do here how can we get a piece of this pie understand as well as when we talk about gaming most people think about triple a like gaming is so much more than triple a yep the gaming user base generally is not made of the hardcore gamer that plays the triple a games it's big majority but there's still a large aspect of people that play phone games or that play just these pick up and plays yeah like a candy but, crush no yeah, but there are these new ventures that are coming out on on mobile on streaming um i know last week was the apple keynote and they came out with the new iphones and um, they announced League of Legends is coming out on iPhone. That's going to be huge. Is it, though? League is one of the biggest games in the world. I know, but to play on a screen this big, you know, I just... Well, you know. It, it, you, the new phones, you can get the, the max phone, which is 6.7 inches. It's... Yeah, it's, not, it's not just iPhone. It could also be iPad, and that's going to be a big seller yeah. there. This is true. And, Especially in a global market. And, and again, it, just example on the iPad, you're playing at 120 hertz. Yeah. yeah. The, the iPad is the best 
option to play Fortnite other than playing on PC because you're playing at 120 hertz with the the graphics that the iPad can handle. But you're playing the only limit is your is your connection at that point. Exactly, but they're coming out with these new devices. Uh, Google came out with a new Pixel. Um, the the new Sam, how did Samsung name it? The uh, Note. S, the S20 Note Ultra, I forgot how they named it, <laughs> which is another beast of a phone. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've got a 10 Plus, a Note 10 Plus. So. They are tanks. Yep. So And I, I actually ran the, uh, the uh, what is it, the Nocris uh, interference mission on it while I was waiting for my tire to be repaired. So these new ventures are going to be, I think, more crucial to the development of games than new PC hardware or new gaming consoles. Mm-hmm. Mm. What's the best gaming console you have? The one you always have with you. Same right. thing with what's the best camera you have? The one that's always in your pocket. <laughs> yeah. I yep. mean there's there's a lot of truth to that and that's, you know, again, state yeah. You know, Stadia had a big issue with their marketing, and uh, Amazon is trying to pick up with Luna doing a similar thing, but they're marketing the uh, the games differently. It's a yeah, subscription well, they're package. they're also doing the subscription. Right. right. Perfect. So we'll see. We'll see if that if that if that makes a difference. Because well, you were mentioning Project X Cloud and uh, Xbox Game Pass, mm-hmm. best value in gaming, mm-hmm. and. Unfortunately, that's kind of the way things are going to be going. Yeah, it's like yeah. when when XCloud was coming to Game Pass, I like that writing was on the wall. I canceled my Stadia s- subscription and and went all in on uh, Game Pass Ultimate. And like I said the other day, I, I did a you know an interference mission sitting on my phone with a Xbox controller in my hand, phone between my knees, and knocked out knocked out a mission. It was it was simple. So I often played uh, just some bounties and stuff on, on my iPhone with the PlayStation Remote Play where yeah. I would just get my PlayStation to my phone and I had like a, a phone holder that you snap onto the controller. Yeah. Through, it sounds like just kind of having the controller and the screens on top. Mm-hmm. I've been contemplating getting one of those, but I don't know that I want to... Uh get fired from my job for gaming on the clock. <laughs> <laughs> Lunch break. Resist temptation. Resist. No, I actually need to eat. I only get 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You got to get that food. Now, what is this big game that everybody's been playing the last week or two that I've been hearing so many references it was, on? It was, it was the game that Watts was talking about last week. What, Animal right. Crossing? Genshin, Genshin Impact. <laughs> animal crossing <laughs> <laughs> always with the animal crossing always yeah no she had mentioned it last week so i thought it was kind of funny that the uh, article came out today that genshin impact has earned 60 million dollars in his first week to become the second fastest growing mobile game wow. that's incredible right that shows you what kind of a market gaming is right now you know and, and mind you stuff <laughs> mind you this is a free game this isn't a game that, you know, oh, everyone what? bought in five bucks, ten bucks, twenty bucks, yeah, whatever, no, sixty bucks. This is a free to play game and they made sixty million dollars in the first week. You can even download it to Holy the, cow. your PC. If you, you want to if yeah. you if you make something good, people will buy the microtransactions. Right. Yeah. That's exactly if you it. shove it in their faces, 
people will. Yep, people are willing to pay money for stupid cosmetic items to make a product better. To look better. Not exactly play better, because that's to illegal. To look better. <laughs> but to look better, yeah. No, that's incredible. Yeah, or in this case, it's characters. And I was listening to another show today that was talking about the, the gotcha aspect on it and how they've priced those uh, those rolls that you, you know, the pulls from the slot machine. And they, you know, again, they, they just... They went with the industry standard. In, in fact, in most cases, they're one to two bo- one to two dollars cheaper than your standard gotcha game, but they're right on par with it because they know it's it's a working system. And you want you want those things, you can just play it out, grind it out, earn the currency, and then take your pulls from the slot machine, or you can pay cold hard cash and get your ten pulls. And again, it's the right formula, and you don't have to you don't have to pay. To enjoy this game. Well, that's a good thing, at least. Yeah. No. <laughs> if they can make things earnable in games, uh, I think that's a great alternative. Especially right. if you, you know, I have a hard time going to a store, grabbing a pair of jeans and making it to the register with those jeans, like $60. <laughs> so yeah. imagine me playing a video game where it's like, oh, that looks cool. Five bucks. I don't know. I, the gameplay is just fine without that that cool shirt, but whatever. You know, yeah, move on. Well, like the Tooth was saying in chat here, you know, my ten year old son. I I don't know how much I've spent on Fortnite, and these are just you know overpriced skins that they they don't you know whatever your your pickaxe or your skin doesn't give you any advantage in game. Just look cool. You look yeah. cool, you, right? Yeah. You look like a Marvel character or a stormtrooper, but. Again, the game's free, so you're like, oh, hey, I'm a Marvel fan. I want to look like Captain America. I'll spend 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like DJ said in the chat, you know, you get hooked and you're in the in the moment. You make those purchases. Mm-hmm. purchases. It's impulse. It's an impulse yes, purchase. Absolutely. You know? Bungie released the, uh, the going Super Saiyan emote. You were first in line. Buy it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I bet it did. There's another one too. Bastards, you had you just had to put it in and make me buy it. Mm-hmm. Oh, like this 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 season for Festival of the Lost, they said the only thing that isn't going to be sold for Bright Dust is the one inch punch, and I'm going sold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, David, this is a whole new venture for you for for a new category. <laughs> it's gaming, where you can incorporate you know the 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 skeletons and the subjects into the gaming and live streaming and media you know yeah i'm wasting my time this is i'm doing a long thing (laughs) (laughs) i want to be able to uh, afford 60 dollars skinny jeans like joe you you miss you misunderstood that i i I can't afford (laughs) no skinny jeans i get the uh i don't know the 20 dollar you know walmart special i would get one with the walgreens oil package that's right. That's right. And I wear the heck out of it at work or a pair of Dickies that last me like three <laughs> years, four years before the knee starts ripping out. Right. Uh, no, but I mean, really in, in something industry, like uh, making... hmm? in, in your industry, David, it'd, it'd literally be the equipment equivalent of you giving out, you know, what, uh, four by six cards with all your art on it, just giving them away. Right. Mm-hmm. And eventually someone's going to look at that and go, I really want, like, I want that on my wall. I'm going to come in and buy the. 80 by 10 or the 11 by 17 or the one, you know, whatever your massive size print, 24 by 36. But you gave them, you gave them the little, that little bit of it for free. Now here, I I need to give give out about 10 million and then I'll be good to go. 
Hey, I mean, it worked for AOL. So (laughs) I'm going to airdrop that stuff right over LA. (laughs) I'm glad you brought up the frames because David, you make your own custom frames for your canvas pieces. Don't you? Yeah, yeah. For all the all the big originals, I build custom frames, kind of themed out for the pieces. Um, and all the small the small ones I paint are all vintage frames that I I'm a frame hoarder. I, if I turn the camera, you can see the closets is full of frames I've collected for ten years now. Crazy estate sales and all kinds of weirdness. And I just, if I see a cool frame, I take it and I'll find a, a I'll think of a painting for it later. But yeah, so the small ones are vintage, and all the all the um the big ones are all custom made, and it's fun for me. It's like I get the theme out. If you were in that painting what would be available to you to build. And it's just a, I used to carve tiki's and do woodworking. This kind of captures all that. Like I'm an Imagineer out in the garage making a ride. that is the, the, uh, the painting. So it's a fun way to kind of get me out of the studio and let me go play in the, in the workshop. Yeah. I mean, if, if you get an opportunity to go check out, uh, uh, David's website, you'll find a link in the show notes too. And we'll plug them, uh, all over socials, but, uh, go check out his site and look at these, his pieces, but also his frames. These frames are amazing. Uh, yeah, I've seen you, some of like the raw wood with like the metal straps and like, you know, the tacks going in like old school, just framework. Oh, I man. have the weirdest collection. I have a toolbox. It's about, you know, four feet high, you know, six drawers. And it's just filled with random metal sharp objects, like, you know, tacks, <laughs> nails, strap. It's the biggest like tetanus factory. And it's all just because I, I never know what style of piece I may want. So I, anytime I see old rusted chain, and it, it's all this stuff that kind of is period correct to some period that I may need. So I, 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 and I won't be able to find it when I want it. So I just kind of collect it. And I have a whole rolling toolbox that's full of nothing but rusty bits. Nope. And that, it reminds me of our, our, our buddy that builds the custom ghost for us. The same thing. He's just like, I've got broken motherboards and chips and pieces sitting in buckets in my, in my workshop for in case. I don't keep, know. Yeah. Gotta, right. Yeah. That one flashlight that, yeah. That one flashlight that broke that had this six wire cable that worked perfect on it. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I've got a I'm ton of stuff in my garage I could send you that my wife would love me to get rid of. <laughs> well, there's, there's a reclaimed wood place that I go to and they, they know me because I've been going there for years and I'm so annoying. And I'll be like, you know, they, they deal with big contracts. People are spending hundred grand on, on reclaimed wood to build restaurants and houses. And I'll be like, walk in and walk out with one board. This is the perfect board. And I carry it out. And they're like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> this is it right here. But no, it just, it, it yeah. brings it all together. Like if you truly want not only just a, a, a unique, amazing art piece, but to bring the frame, this amazing frame and it's a centerpiece, really. You bring yeah. one of your original pieces into your house, that's going to draw people to it. And you're going to walk by it feeling amazing because this is an amazing piece of, you know, this is art right here. The frame down to the canvas to everything. Like, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's one of those things where I, I, I was realizing that people are just going to Michael's and buying standard frames, all these other artists around me. And I'm like, well, they're all going to have the same frame because you all shop the same Michael's, you know, where we can't. I have right. pieces that, so I wanted to be different. I want, I'm like, well, you know, no one's doing this. And I, I love theming. I love Imagineers and sculpting. I love all that hands on stuff. So I'm like, well, Let's just start making rustic frames because it fits my Western stuff and we'll start there. And I mean, it's blossomed. I've, I've built like I built a, a faux space capsule door. Um, I mean, with a portal and, and hoses and, and paint worn and aged. And it was so great. I remember being, it being hanging in the booth one day and someone's like, oh, did you find like a, 
where'd you buy that? It's like a space uh, reclaimed place, you know, where they have pieces like that. I'm like, where do you think you buy space parts? You know, <laughs> I appreciate you think it's real, but come on. But that that's, was like a compliment, not even knowing it. When you think that that's a real piece of space junk that I have hanging up there. Nice. Speaking of space junk, um, a lot of people are getting Thank on the uh, Star Star Wars <laughs> Star Wars Squadrons game, and let me tell you, what I, what little bit I've seen, this might be the game that gets me into VR. EA made another good Star Wars game. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I just the the space but... battles on this are from everything I've heard. I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but I've watched I watched some gameplay, and it's just like this is. Us older folk, we remember yeah. bellying up to that first uh, uh, Star Wars game with the with the little flight yoke on there oh. and the vector graphics. Yeah, oh. you remember that one. And the snowflakes coming Listen. at you, right? <laughs> Listen, I'm so old. I remember when Bungie made Marathon, which is like, yes, you know, that's, same. that's what that is to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's like ever since we had, uh, what was it? Um X-Wing versus TIE Fighter was probably mm-hmm. the last good... It was, it's uh, going to be the updated version of X-Wing right. versus TIE Fighter. So, and the, apparently they did a, the VR version of this is so compelling. Like, you look around the cockpit, you can just... Have you seen uh, Angry Joe's review on it? I uh, have not seen Angry Joe's review on it. Is he, he angry he about just, it? Oh, no. He, he fanboys on it wholeheartedly. And he recommends everyone go out and buy it. And he happened to have a um, a HOSAT, uh, which is the, the flight state. HOTAS. So, HOTAS. HOTAS, yeah. And he had the VR. And he said, playing the, the game with mouse and keyboard or controller is good, but this game is made for VR and having the flight stick. Yep. It... It wasn't an afterthought. It it is made to work together. It, it's a go. pain in the ass to make it work. <laughs> there you go. You heard it here. If you want to play this game, buy a VR headset and a and a flight stick because you ain't yeah, gonna enjoy it. Another that. thousand bucks on top <laughs> yeah. of it. It's just gonna but say, yeah. it, it's kind of the way to to play it. And now this is the is this the microtransaction we were talking about earlier? Like the there's impulse. Not, there is nothing micro about that. There's nothing <laughs> impulse about that either. Uh, is this the Apple, you know, grill? You know, the uh, what was it? The monitor holder or whatever it was. No, but I, ironically enough, the uh, the Oculus Go suddenly happened to come back in stock recently. <sighs> you think it was a coincidence? <laughs> you know, it wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past Facebook to be like, "Hmm, this is doing really, really good. Let's push, 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 push." Because somebody else just bought a, a VR headset uh, that I know. I who the heck was it? Somebody was just talking about it this week uh, in passing, and I we're. I think I was at work, and I was just kind of like, it, you know, oh that that's awesome, and now it's just coming back to me now. Like, wait. Yeah, so th- that would make sense that it came back into stock and now people are grabbing them. I don't know if they're grabbing them for the Star Wars game, but it's a definitely good reason for it. The I VR just, is getting better over time. It is. I, I had just convinced my wife to let us even look into that venture by showing her Beat Saber. 
because, you know, she's kind of a Star Wars nut. And I'm like, look, you can play Guitar Hero with lightsabers. Well, there's a game. Now show her. (laughs) Right. Star Wars Squadrons on VR. Well, there's also a lightsaber, like, VR game you can get from Best Buy. Yeah. It's like a Darth Vader simulator, basically. Yeah, you can, you and a buddy can, like, you can, I can get a lightsaber and I, and JL can get one, Nate can get get one, David and Alan could all get one. We could all get lightsabers and then put these, like, this mask on or whatever, and we're all teleported to the same place and we could have lightsaber battles from our Hmm. living rooms, you know, with each other, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know. I I see some community decisions being solved by lightsabers soon. (laughs) <laughs> that's a possibility <laughs> what teacher are we going with lightsabers get them <laughs> the new rock paper scissors I'll see you all in the Death Star Light version lightsabers. 1 not version Lightsaber. 2 <laughs> yeah but uh, no uh, no that's great uh, you know what we're we're at we're uh, at the bewitching hour I think uh, we're about to turn into pumpkins we are we are. David, thank you so much again for coming on with us and uh, sharing everything with us. Uh, it's truly been uh, an amazing time and uh, so honored to have you on again. So so great catching back up. Um, why don't you share with everybody where they can find more of you, your YouTube channel, where you're streaming, uh, if you have a schedule, and you know where they can purchase some of your art and keep up to date. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on again. This has been a lot of fun, too. This is uh, just a to dive in on both sides of the art and the experiences, it's been a really a real treat. So I hope you guys will have me back again in the future. Um, you can find me on the web, David Lozo, L-O-Z-E-A-U.com. And I have, you know, all the things, the Facebooks and the uh, and Instagrams, all that kind of stuff, just my name. Um, so I stream now once a week. We're still trying to figure out what time. So it's just kind of off and on. But if you follow me on Facebook or YouTube, you'll see the stream pop up and you'll know that I'm there. Um, so basically probably streaming once a week, sometimes twice a week now, getting things cooked up. And basically, I kind of share my paintings and process and take questions and stuff. If you're a start, you know, an artist starting out, you can take all those kind of questions and kind of uh, give my experiences and share stories and uh, and hang out just like this. So, again, thank you guys for having me, and I hope you guys can check out the art. And uh, any questions or follow ups, feel free to, uh, to message me. Fantastic! Yeah, absolutely. Awesome! Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for coming yeah. on. Yeah, no, no problem. I'm amazed by all oh, my gear has lasted the entire time. That was the only only thing that was in question. Yeah, you have uh, an interview coming up very soon with uh, one of the museums, right? Yeah, yep. And uh, this is my, my test run. I have an interview on on uh, the twenty fifth coming up. Yeah, so this like whatever that is coming up with the uh, California Museum is doing an artist panel for Day of the Dead. Um, this is normally my busy time of year where I'd be doing demo live demos and painting right. and, and events, but uh, now I'm in my jammies at home. So now you get me. <laughs> now you get me. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. It's it, we're going to take advantage of this opportunity and what an opportunity this was. Uh, we will. I'm if this is live streamed, any of these, I I'm going to be there and check this out because I I am so interested by this and you know I love love hearing you talk, David. You're you're so informative and you're so passionate and thank you so much again and thank I you everybody for. That. For hanging out with us and uh, chatting, hanging out, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Everybody, have a nice night. Sure.